Welcome to the Collide Podcast. We're a growing community of everyday chicks colliding with Jesus in our mess, our pain, our joy, and our stories. We value showing up as we truly are, so that's what you'll find here. Walls and masks being torn down so that we can allow Jesus to meet us where we truly are and hear about other women doing the same. We can't wait to collide with you. We live in a world where God's fingerprint is on everything. We're in His image and we need community. I think He loves community. I think He built us for it. So when we feel love, when we feel community, when we feel friendship, when we feel service, I think those are all things that God blessed us with. So we're almost just like living with our eyes open to what He already gave us. Hey guys, welcome to the Clyde podcast. I'm Willow Weston, the founder and director of Clyde. And one of my very favorite things I get to do is this podcast. I love that I get to sit down with amazing women and hear their stories. I get to hear the highs and the lows, the real, the good, the bad, the ugly. I get to hear about their passions, their story, their experiences, their giftings, their dreams, their wounds, and their fight to move past those wounds and see God show up in their lives and do amazing things. And so today is no different. I get an interview, Teresa Butcher, who lives in my hometown up here in the PNW. And Teresa is a wife. She's a mom of three. She's a sister, a daughter, a businesswoman, a landlord, a pastor's kid. She's a fitness junkie. She volunteers at her church on the worship team. I mean, what doesn't this girl do? She loves her family, her friends. She's passionate about community, sharing life and hosting. And so today you get to join in hearing this convo about all the things. So Teresa, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. It is so exciting. Teresa, I've heard you say that you want your life and your home to be open to people who need it because you've been so blessed with love, community, and stability, and you recognize that that's something that you can share. I I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about this experience you've had. Did you experience a lot of stability and love and community growing up, or has it been more in your adult life? Um. I definitely experienced that growing up. I think as I got older, I realized that my situation was more unique than I thought it was. I kind of thought everyone had that. And as I got to know more people, um, I saw that there was just this big hole that a lot of people don't, that I realized I was rich in something I didn't know I was rich in, I'm uniquely rich in it. So um, my parents are just awesome. I, my dad's a pastor. My mom has her PhD in social welfare reform research, and she's just a go-getter. If you know anything about the Enneagram, she's a three. That's a person who just likes to do a lot of things really well. So, um, (laughs) she's just off the charts. And something I've always said about my dad is yes, he's a pastor, but if there's anyone I can think of that has like walked the earth, like I imagine Jesus would do, that's him. Like he's a CRC pastor, but he is this, we say to his face, he's just always messy. Like there's just always tears in his pants. And we're just always like, dad, why is there dirt on you? And he's like, well, someone fell over on the side of the road. So I helped him up and then they needed to be, they needed a ride to another state. So I drove him there. Like he's just constantly doing the, literal work that you see of people stepping out of their norm and just helping people with their hands. And that's what I grew up with. And my parents just always had an open home. So our Thanksgivings always had random people at it because it was like, oh, you don't have somewhere to go? Come on over. So Mm. we didn't have a ton of money and we didn't have a ton of tidiness necessarily either because I would go to other people's houses and it was like, whoa, you have like formal wear and I don't know, just different things that we didn't always do, but our home was always open and I loved that. And when someone had a need, we had a couch and it, that's something that I got to carry into my adult life. But, um, yeah, I definitely had that growing up. 
for sure. Mm -hmm. I love hearing you talk about your parents. It's really interesting to me that you said you realize you're rich in ways that you didn't know you were. Did life like bring you some sort of experience to help you realize that? Or what was the moment where you realized, oh, like I have experienced this richness, this stability and love and community that maybe other people haven't? I think part of it was my parents didn't leave me in a little bubble. It wasn't like, okay, we love the Lord. We're only going to talk to people who love the Lord and who don't swear or who don't whatever. It was like, um, we lived in Arizona. And so we had, if I remember there was one guy that lived with us for a while that he was getting clean. So he, this sounds funny, but he had a tent in our backyard. And so it was like, okay, he lives back there. He needed a place to stay that was off the streets. But, um, it was like, okay, as long as you're clean, this is your place to camp out while you get back on your feet. So it was, he was great. He was like, this person that I got to know his story a little bit as a young person. So there were just people constantly in my life that I'm like, wow, that took a turn for you. Or I don't know. There were just people in my life that had hardships that I didn't have that I was exposed to because my parents were showing them love and showing them the love of God. And I don't know. Yeah. I'd say exposure to the world and then also a good dose of empathy, I think just kind of, thinking through other people's experiences, um, along the way. Hmm. I love that your parents invited you into the kind of rich faith that isn't a kind of faith. that's all about the Lord blesses me. The Lord cares for me. The Lord, you know, it's all about it's me centered faith, but they actually mm-hmm. invited you into the richness of Jesus is outpouring for other people that that absolutely wasn't just a richness to keep for yourself, but a richness to share with others. That's so beautiful. Yes. Well, I think that's one of the biggest things is we often think religion is more of like a self-help book, but really he's saying, do the hard work, find the orphan, find the widow and go love them. I'm telling you, go love them and tell them about my love do it right now. That's this big calling. And, um, it's hard and it's, it's messy and not, um, there aren't always boundaries in that. Like we've always joked with my dad, like, stop giving away all our stuff. Cause he would just be like, like one year he gave away our Christmas tree because someone needed a Christmas tree. At Christmas? Like, like, at, like, like right was- before Christmas. Like right before Christmas. All our stuff. He, I had a car that they gave me in high school. And then I came home winter break, freshman mm-hmm. year of college. The car was gone because someone needed a car. So, of course, he gave our car away. Like, it's just constantly like, Dad, maybe some of our stuff. Like, you do have two daughters, but don't just sell us. Like, we, we love you. I don't know. It's just... He's over the top all the time. So I remember one year we were like, we'll give dad an allowance where we can like shut him off. And he was like done with it by March. Like he's like, I spent my year. Sorry. Like (laughs) that's just not, it's not meant for us to keep when someone has a need, we give them, we Mm -hmm. do what we need to do. So, yeah, I love that. And so (laughs) you're kind of saying like, you're channeling that now in your adult life. Like that's your heartbeat. Like you want to share love and community and stability with other people. So are you bringing that Jesus way of living that you saw in your parents? Are you bringing that into your own family with your kids and your husband? Well, I mean, I, I very much so have it on my heart and I'd say it looks a little different for me than it did for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I married Nathan who I met in college and he's the bomb. He, I love people. He loves people. We want to be with people all the time. If we can be with people, we're going to be with people. Um, and even that is something that is, I think what I've realized growing up is we're all so different. We're all gifted with different things. And I was gifted with a comfortability around people and not everyone has that for a lot of people. They feel on the outskirts or they feel looked over or they don't feel like they can speak unless called upon. And I show up and I speak a lot and I'm a lot and I'm very much in the room. So to be able to say like um, a weird example that comes to mind is like, okay, it's the Super Bowl and no, I don't cook. 
well at all and I can't like do a very amazing spread, but we can invite anyone who needs a place to go for the Super Bowl and we're going to just get a ton of pizza, like get cheap pizza, cheap beer. That's kind of our way to go. That's like, yes, you can come here and there's a spot for you on our couch. Um, and it's not glamorous, but like we just want community and people to feel safe and open in our home. So we do have kind of a rotating door of people in our home or people who regularly crash with us. Um, I think Nate and I have had five different roommates um, in our marriage and just our, we want to have an open door. We want to have a place where people feel comfortable to sit at our table, no matter what. Um, and that is absolutely how that has kind of played out. I mean, it's played out in a lot of different ways, but yes, I'd say that's probably the most where it has worked in is knowing that we can help provide community for people, especially if it's kind of hard for them to find it. Um, we love it. So we want to share it, but we don't, you can't keep community to yourself because by definition you need more than one person for it. So yeah. I love that though, because I think a lot of people love people and they love being around friends, but they kind of hoard like this, the group they feel comfortable with or this, this one group mm -hmm. of friends. And you're kind of saying, no, like we open up our house to people who maybe don't have community or don't have a place to go on Super Bowl and like you're sharing your riches and being generous with them and not just hoarding it for how it could bless you back in return. I love that so much. So super cool. But also it blesses me. I mean, I, I don't feel like twist my arm. I'm like, yes, come over. You know, it doesn't. So yeah, I wouldn't even call it like a hardship. It's just like, yes, come over. It well, I'll up. be there. I'll be there for the next yes. Super Bowl. I'm down with the pizza and beer, but not cheap beer. It can't be cheap beer. Oh, we have upped our game a little bit over time. Right? We're getting better. Hey, I want yes. to here's a little bit and talk about you. You um, do a lot of different things. You know, you guys are landlords. You... Um, have done different jobs over the years. You also own a health club with family members and a business partner. And I'm so curious because there's a few cooks in the kitchen in a sense, like how have you found your role in the midst of the family dynamics and the multiple partners in that? Oh my goodness. My sister and I say, we need to start a podcast just for that. <laughs> We're like healthy boundaries in the workplace, how to work with your family. Um, because I don't think it's for everyone. It is mm -hmm. really hard work. But if it is for you, oh my goodness, it's like the most amazing experience to work with people that your passions are just aligned. Like I'm sure you experience this with Collide of when you come alongside someone that you're like, oh, our heart is just beating in the same way. And creatively, we're pointed in the same direction and we want the same things you can transform a hot sauce company, a gym, a restaurant, anything that feels like it has more purpose than just what you're doing, you know? So, um, yeah, the owners, it's my mom and her best friend and then my sister and I. So my sister and I started working for them uh, quite a few years ago um, out of college. And then the first two owners were saying, okay, we kind of want an exit strategy. We kind of want partners. So they brought us on. So we were doing kind of a long-term buyout with them. And so then um, the four of us are owners, but we all had different roles. So every year we have extensive, extensive conversations. I think good relationships take work. They take boundaries. Absolutely. They take a lot of grace. They take love and, um, yeah, and a little give and take. So um, we worked really hard to create boundaries so that we could live in the freedom of what we were doing. So we have our owner roles, and then we also have our salaried roles. So I was the marketing director for many, many years, um, and that role was different than my ownership role. So hmm. I think that was a big part of it is just creating boundaries of, I'm an employee and literally down to the detail of having separate apps for things. So it's like, if you contact me on GroupMe, that means I can get to it when I need to. If you call me, it's because we have a work and emerge, a work emergency and mm -hmm. you would have called a normal employee. But if you're just 
calling to talk work all the time, I can never be done with work and that's not healthy. And if, yeah, so. Right. And you can never be my sister or my mom or my friend. Yes. I love the clarity that you guys have brought to that dynamic. It sounds so healthy. You own a gym and we have had almost a year and a half of COVID. How have you guys been impacted by the pandemic? Oh, Willow, (laughs) it has been a ride. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been really hard. Um, It, I mean, the gym is a service-based industry where showing up is what people are paying for. And the governor said, no more, we're done, shut it down. So um, this last year was so hard in so many ways as a business owner because suddenly you're on blast for where you stand politically. Are you going to stay open? Are you going to push against it? Are you going to do the rules? How do you feel about safety? Do you care about safety? Do you not care about safety? I don't know. Just Mm -hmm. every decision was on blast. And again, that's why it's so cool to work with people that I was so close with and knew their heart. Like I knew we cared about people's safety. We also cared about obeying the rules. We also cared about not getting bullied. We also cared about our staff and our members. Um, not going under, you know, like mm-hmm. what can we do to stay afloat? And yeah, it was, it was really hard. And again, that empathy thing that just opens my heart up to where I can't even think about it for too long is knowing how much work it took. I mean, we made it. We're, we're barely, barely there, but overnight we went online our members were outstanding. We said, Hey, here's what we're offering. We're offering a virtual experience. We're going to have live classes every day. We're sending you workouts. We're doing all this stuff. We knew we had to provide value so that we weren't just begging for money. Right. But we knew we had to be transparent and say, here's the thing. We have pools. We have this huge facility. We have all this that we have to keep going, even though you're not showing up. So if you want a gym, when this thing's over, it's time to show up (laughs) financially. So please use this. We want to keep your body moving. We care about it. So it hit on every level of, we really care about our members and we think this is going to be hard for them staying home. Mm -hmm. Um, The gym is community for people. Like if you don't go to church, the gym is so much community for a lot of people. Like that's where their friends are. That's where they, um, we have people who bring board games and play them in the lobby. Like that's just where their community is. Um, You're never going to find me doing that. It's hard (laughs) for me to the gym. I'm not playing Monopoly there. Okay. Okay. You say that now, but if you met some of these lobby ladies, you would be like, all right, this is where the party's at because there's coffee. Oh, it's so good. Um, But yeah, it, it was a loss of community. It's a loss of moving your body. It's a loss of, Mm -hmm. Um, rhythm, routine, and interaction. And so, yeah, we wanted to provide something. So, and we wanted to be vulnerable that we're saying, we know this isn't what you signed up for, you know? So we understand if you need to shut off your membership, you got to do it and you need to take care of your family. Um, But to have four of us was so important because some of us got to lean into the online experience. I had to train up people how to use Facebook Live overnight. Like, okay, you're teaching from your garage. We have incredible, incredible staff members who stepped up, did amazing things that they never thought they would do. Um, so, yeah, it was wild. But then also on the other side, um, Karen and Denise, who are the managing owners, were doing all the work of looking up. PPP and applying for grants and applying for all this. And this is where I'm like, I don't know how some small businesses made it because especially if you think about someone who English is their second language, who doesn't have a really close relationship with the bank, who doesn't have all these different connections and isn't going to be able to carefully go through every single loan. I mean, we had one night that they did all the paperwork and then our banker said, just so you know, they changed one detail on one of the forms you're gonna have to do the whole thing over again if you don't start now and it was due like at midnight so like do the whole thing yeah if you don't have that person texting you you just lost like Hmm. so I mean if you are a small business owner I love you I'm 
I hope you can take a bubble bath at some point because you just did the hardest year of your life. And if you know a business owner, hug them. If you can reach out to them in any way, pay for two burritos when you buy one burrito, like pay for your gym membership, just do whatever you possibly can because it, it has been a really, really, really hard year for small business owners. And mm-hmm. um, I think we're going to feel the fallout of that trauma for a while. And the strangest part about it is you can't really be public with that. I mean, if you have this um, place that you're like, I set up this business and it's cool and you want to be here, you can't go, please give me your business. You know, like we're dying. That just doesn't, that's not a good look for you PR. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of people who businesses that just quietly shut down across the country that Mm -hmm. you just go, Oh wait, wasn't that store there before? And there's a business owner at home, very sad right now, but just quietly stepped out. So hug your small business owners, people. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, it's been quite the ride and we're still in it. How would you say that you have been changed personally as a leader? because of your experience with COVID? I think um, in so many ways, my ego is not leading me anymore. And I think it was. I think I was like, I don't even totally know how it's connected. I just know that when the four of us are sitting around a bonfire, like, what are we going to do? Like we need to do whatever we need to do to save our staff, to save our members. Um, I mean, that's a huge responsibility to have employees, right? Like they're feeding their families and we're like, we need to do whatever we need to do. And I'd say before when we had all these boundaries and all these clear roles, um, that kind of went out the window (laughs) and we just said, we need to do we need to set our pride aside and we need to do whatever we need to do to help. Um, Karen and Denise, the managing owners, when we had, when we could have one person in the building, it was them. It's these owners. My mom is in her early, early sixties and she was running the front desk. Um, and sorry, a plane just went over. <laughs> um, was that a plane? Yeah. It was a plane. Oh, I'm so sorry. On your roof. <laughs> yeah, that was nuts. I feel like I'll let them pass a second because that's just crazy. Um, anyway, I saw I saw my partners lead by that example, and Karen and Denise were running the front desk, and my mom is an insanely accomplished woman, and Denise is so accomplished, and they were like, okay, now we're facilities, now we're housekeeping, now we're front desk, mm-hmm. now we're checking people in. Now we're asking, we're going through asking people if they've experienced these COVID symptoms in the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they just really stepped up. And um, so, yeah, I think a lot of, e- I, I'm not being led by ego and pride in a way that was there before that I wouldn't say it was necessarily toxic or anything, but I just really like moved out of my own way and said, okay, what do we need to do now? Hmm. It'll be interesting to ask you that question in a year, five years and see how you feel like you were shaped. Most of us desire to do amazing things with our lives, but we often doubt that we can. We let our weaknesses boss around our strengths and our insecurities drown out our gifting. But what if God could use exactly what we've got to pull off something big? Our book titled Yes You is a beautifully designed, full-color, 12-part Bible study where we center around the passage in John 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. As you engage scripture, read personal stories, and reflect on questions that invite you to new places, you'll be challenged, encouraged, and inspired. We can't wait for you to dive into this study. So go to wecollide.net slash store to get your copy of Yes You now. You, you've you had uh, something that's extremely um, shaping occur in your life. And I'm wondering if you want to share a little bit about the accident that changed your life. 
Yes. Um, okay, so this has to do with my son. I will say, first of all, motherhood changed my life. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that is so true for so many women. I always like to um, think about Teddy as the one who made me a mom. He's my firstborn. And um, I transitioned from someone who wasn't a mom to someone who was a mom. And I had no idea how amazing it would be. I wasn't someone who dreamt of getting married or having kids or any of that. And so I just feel like I keep falling into these blessings that are like, is this real life? This is so cool. Um, even pregnancy and birth, I was terrified of. And then I was like, what? This is awesome. So um, all these fun little life surprises that everyone already knew was cool, but I'm late to the party. Um, so when my firstborn son was two and a half, my daughter was eight months old. Um, Teddy and Nathan were cooking dinner and there was a pot of boiling water on the stove and Teddy slipped and he pulled the pot of boiling water down with him. And my husband reached out and caught him. So the pot of boiling water spilled on both of them. It just barely burned Nathan's arms, but Teddy had, um, burns all over one half of his face, like all the way to the back of his head, his chest, his shoulders, his arms, his hands. Um, and so he had second and third degree burns all over his body. Um, and it, my heart kind of stops even just saying it, like just to say what happened is a lot because it mm -hmm. was a lot. Um, and so I think that kind of experience can change anyone, no matter what. Um, but I think that trauma, God just stepped in over and over in ways that I didn't see him coming. So, um, like even in the moment, Nathan just called out emergency and I, I just ran in and we traded. He took Lucy, I took Teddy. And when they say moms can move a car off someone, they just can. It is so crazy what happens to you, what I just believe God has built us. I think it was a discovery of creation of God in us. Like, um, there's just something put in us to be able to do what we need to protect our babies. So I just thought more clearly than I've ever thought in my life. Mm -hmm. I ran upstairs. I took his clothes off. I got in the bath. I was running water, but not warm, not cold, like to just flush fresh water over him. Um, and I don't know why I just knew all the things like later. My dad was like, why'd you do all that? And I was like, I don't know. Grey's Anatomy. I don't know what happened, but I just knew what to do. Um, but he's like, Oh, I feel less confident now, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, um, I don't, I don't want to share too much of the graphics of it. Um, but to just understand how bad it was as I was. So yeah, pause if this is hard for you. Um, but as I was just flushing the water over his, the skin from his arms was just kind of falling into my hand. So I said, call 911. So the ambulance came. Um, and this is that like mama bear moment. I remember the paramedics set their bags down and they unzipped their bags. And I stood up, I had been in the tub. I stood up with him and they zipped the bag back up and they said, mom's on the move. And they just followed me. It was like, okay, the paramedics are working for me now which it was cool because looking back, I'm like, I don't think that's the first time paramedics have seen a mom be the one in charge, like the person in charge, you know, they're accustomed to that because they've seen it before because they knew like that's what we're doing. So we got in the ambulance. Um, they gave him some medicine to calm him down. And then, um, yeah. And then it was, we went to the burn unit at Harborview. Um, he spent time there. We went back and forth and, um, then it was a lot of wound care and, um, yeah, over the next 53 days, I know we did a balloon day when it was, his wounds were healed. Um, but it took 53 days for his skin to close over. Um, mm -hmm. which means then he moves into, that's like, okay, that's the first step you're really looking for. Um, but to get to that point, it was about an hour every day of, wound care and debriding, which means you need to make sure there's no dead skin on there. So in the baths, you're just scrubbing and it's a very painful experience for your child. 
um, but you have to do it to keep them safe, to keep them healthy. And um, yeah, it was, I could go in a hundred different directions, but um, that's kind of what happened. Um, when I talk about community, I feel like I've been able to give, but I think that was the thing when you say like, when did that awaken in you? The way that Nathan and I were loved during that time, I think is unmatched for what I'll ever see in my lifetime. And I just feel like I owe everyone that love back because they held us together. Um, and I just feel indebted to the people who showed up for us. And I just feel like I learned what it's like to receive love in the most vulnerable, low, hard time and what it does to a human being to be loved that way. So I just mm. feel like I have to love back. Mm. I, I have so many questions I want to ask you, Teresa, but I'm just listening and I'm thinking for a girl who grew up in the kind of family that you grew up in, where you're hosting the guy, you know, he's in a tent in your backyard. Your dad gives away the Christmas tree. I mean, <laughs> he gives the shoes off his feet. You know how to give and you know how to invest in people. And here you were like having nothing to give because you're in this complete place of need. What did that look like on a really like practical no, those 53 days when community showed up for you? Um, that's a great question. Um, so there are a couple things. One, in a really, in the spiritual sense of it, I needed prayer. Um, I, I've never been so desperate for prayer. Um, and as a pastor's kid, I've debated prayer as someone, my dad actually has, um, rheumatoid arthritis. So we've had people pray for healing and not pray for healing and all these things. And he still has rheumatoid arthritis. So, um, praying for healing can really get in my head, um, and can be kind of a struggle with God and I, in our private conversations, um, of like, what are you doing there? What's happening? Mm -hmm. Um, and my friend Emma showed up. She did not know how bad it was, but Nathan texted, Hey, T needs uh, dry clothes. So can you bring some dry clothes to the hospital? Um, Emma was Teddy's nanny. Um, and she's one of my very best friends and she showed up and she saw us and she goes, Oh, okay. And we just took a deep breath and, um, I said, Emma, I need you to do a couple things. <laughs> and I still apologize to her to this day because I <laughs> asked her to call my mom and sister and tell them what was going on, which is like the meanest thing you could ask someone like, hi, could you call this child's grandmother and tell him this horrible news? And she was just like, okay, I got it. Poor girl. Um, <laughs> but then also I said, it's funny because you would think that's like a private time or anything. And I was like, I need you to tell everyone to pray. Like everyone you can tell, I need you to tell. I don't care how the story gets out. I don't care if they think we're terrible parents for what happened. I don't care what happens. I need everyone talking to God about Teddy right now because I, I need it. I desperately, as a mom, need God here for my son for healing. Nathan and I can't breathe. We can't do this without him. So just call up your friends. Let's do this thing. And I tell you what, the world in my mind, my world's very small. Um, <laughs> but we, we actually literally had people all over the world praying for Teddy. I still meet people to this day who say, that's Teddy? Like we prayed for Teddy every night we prayed for Teddy and we had, um, so the practical side, we had strangers sending us gifts every day. We had things show up on our doorstep from children who drew pictures for him. Um, there's a, a town, one town over from us, uh, that a group of moms got a whole gift basket together of stuff for Teddy, stuff for Lucy wine for me, like all kinds of stuff that was just like, here, we we're just praying for you. Like, 
Mm. People just literally reached out. They reached out in prayer. They reached out in kind words. They reached out in little gifts. It was amazing. And then also on the practical sense, this is where I, I know some people have struggles like asking for help. I feel that too. I'm not like ever going to say, hi, can you come help do this little thing with me? But there was no time for embarrassment, right? Like there's no time for shame. There's no time for anything when you need to just be there for your kids. So I remember I had a list of things we needed. Um, Teddy was bandaged basically from the waist up. Um, and so we needed to see if any of the bandages were slipping. So he needed all white sheets. So um, I sent a text out, I need all white sheets for Teddy's bed for when we get home. And the day we showed up at our house from the hospital, when we very first left the burn unit, I walked in the house and I saw that my carpets had been vacuumed, my fridge was full, my lawn was mowed, his sheets were covered, it, there were flowers all over the table, and I just went from room to room and opened each door. And I remember getting to my laundry room and just falling down. I think I hadn't been alone yet also. Mm. Um, and I just like fell to the ground, overwhelmed by practical love of people reaching out, doing every detail of things I would never ask someone to do. You know, you'd never say, hey, can you go vacuum before I get home? Like that, you wouldn't do that. But um but they did it. They just did it. And it was a whole group of people and not even everyone took credit for what they did. So I didn't even know who did everything. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. My mother-in-law flew out, stayed with us. Teddy needed to be, someone had to be with him at all times because his bandages couldn't slip. Um, and he had to have really intense pain medications every four hours. Um, and so I needed help with Lucy. People took care of Lucy constantly. Um, my mom and so talk about like being filled up with love. I have amazing in-laws. I have an amazing set of parents and like <laughs> Teddy's two grandmas were there so often. And when he had to take his medicine, he didn't always want it, but he was writhing in pain. Um, but didn't understand the medicine would make it better. Right. Um, cause he's two and a half. Um, so I just have these memories of the grandma's they would make smoothies for him and then they would dance and like, we're going to take some medicine and like just full blown <laughs> grandma at like two in the morning. Cause we're like, it's medicine time. We have to get him to do it. You can't. And he's hurting all over. He's screaming in pain. So yeah, we're going to dance. We're going to do smoothies. We're going to do applesauce. We're going to do whatever we need to do, but this kid's going to take his medicine and it's going to take a village to get it down. So, um, there was no shortage of stuff people did for us. Hence, mm -hmm. I owe the world all the love I have. And it keeps growing. You'd think you'd run out, but it keeps getting bigger. And I just feel like, guys, I'm at capacity. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yep. Love just keeps snowballing. How do you see that as God showing up in your life? I... I think that we live in a world where God's fingerprint is on everything. I know he designed us in his image. I know he designed every bit of this world and we're in his image and we need community. I think he loves community. I think he built us for it. So when we feel love, when we feel community, when we feel friendship, when we feel service, I think those are all things that God blessed us with. So we're almost just like living with our eyes open to what he already gave us. So um, it's funny when we say things like, oh, God was near or God wasn't near or something like God's always there, right? Like he's, he doesn't go away from you and then come back when it's hard. Um, I kind of like to picture it like, I'm always Teddy and Lucy and Ollie's mom, right? Like I'm always their mom. I'm always there. Um, and they can be sitting on my lap reading a book. I'm there. My position has not changed, but then they can turn around and hug me and just go like, mm, that's my mom. I squeeze her, we kiss. And then they go back to reading their book and they're just as loved. They're just as much in my care 
but sometimes it feels closer or sometimes it just feels gooier in the love department. And I think in that time, I had no option but to be desperate for his presence. Um, I think he's always that close, but I think he just took this veil off that he's like, hey, I'm here in everything someone does for you. Even if they don't love God, I see God in it because I think God created every single one of us. So Mm -hmm. if someone who doesn't yet know God reaches out in love to me, I'm like, gosh, that's how God designed you. How beautiful is that? Like you're living into your creator and you don't even know it. So, um, I feel like God is in community in every way. And I also think those were people stepping into something that God was pushing them to do that. Like they had this little urging that they could have felt weird about and they didn't. And I'd say that's a big takeaway too, is if you feel like you want to reach out to someone and then you pause because you might look weird, how much better if you look weird and you got it wrong and you look like an an awkward turtle than like to not do it and then miss this opportunity where you have no idea how much that could mean to someone at that Mm -hmm. time. No idea. Mm -hmm. And it's worth risking what you're risking, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because I think a lot of times people think, well, who am I? I'm sure they have other people more important than me Mm -hmm. or you know, what's making a meal? How's that going to help when they're in the hospital desperate for their son's, you know, tragedy, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was all these little things added up that literally just held you guys up. And I think God uses the small, it's the collective of the small that really held you up. And that's how God reminded you, like he's with you. How, how many years has this been? And, and, and how old is Teddy and how's he doing? He's six and a half. It has been, we just had the four year, this sounds crass, but our family does humor with tragedy, I guess we call it his anniversary. Um, but it's been four years and, um, he is doing so well. He, okay. So his face was like split down the middle fully burned on one side. They had to shave half of his head because it went all the way back behind his ear. And you just would not know that that ever happened. Like second and third degree burns all over his face. You would never know. Um, and on his arms, he has some pretty cool, we think they're cool looking, um, big scars on his, um, bicep and then his arms and hands have like just so they just look a little different like you I mean a neighbor who's really close with us just found out and they're like what are you talking about he doesn't have anything so you do have to kind of look closely in his arms but when you see him with his shirt off um on his uh bicep you can see he has some pretty epic scars but um to be honest if well number one he doesn't remember any of it Thank the Lord. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember when we got to the hospital, the doctor said, this might sound encouraging and it might sound discouraging, but I need to tell you, Teddy's not going to remember any of this. This is going to be okay for him, but it's going to be really bad for you. (laughs) I said, okay, we can do that. That's great. Um, So yeah, he doesn't have memory of the pain. He doesn't have memory of any of that. Although I know trauma does affect you, but that's something we're always watching. But as far as the scars and everything go, we just talk really openly about it. We talk about, um, the good that came out of it, how close our family was during it. And, um, and he calls them his fidget spinners. So we wanted to make sure he was really body positive about his scars, you know, and not feel Mm -hmm. shame about them. I try not to like cry over them, (laughs) you know, um, and be weird about it. Um, I have a little sense to hold back my weird momness, but (laughs) just a little, um, but yeah, he seems really positive about the whole thing. And even Lucy talks about him. She's mentioned she wants scars. And I was like, do not do that. (laughs) No, we do not want more scars. Just what we have is perfect. (laughs) Um, but 
I remember saying one time, like, how much I love science because even that I can see God in that. Like, I think science is studying creation. It's studying what God has done for us. And we have doctors who spend time researching that, studying it and getting better at healing and knowing more. Like, I just think we get to find out so much more about God when we study just a flower or we study um, the expansiveness of our universe. There's so much that we get to find out about the detail of creation. And I was talking about that one time. And then um, my other good friend, she said, okay, but I have to stop you right there. I was like, okay. She goes, I need you to not dismiss also that we prayed for Teddy's face. We specifically said God. So it's not just that God created science and that was healed and great doctors, but a miracle did happen there. And you might not even totally feel it because you don't, you weren't there for that. But we prayed, God, let Teddy's face be healed so that he doesn't have to have that reminder every day. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, which was just this cool kind of realization that so many people connected their own miracles and their own experience with God over Teddy's accident. Like this kid reached so many people. It's crazy. Like a lot of kids learn to pray at night over Teddy's. I don't know. Not like I would ever pick it. That was bad. I would really like to not have that had happened, <laughs> but God used it in a way that was so much more epic than I ever could have imagined. Teresa, I feel like I could ask you so many things and I know, you know, we're going to have to come to a close here, <laughs> but you watched your son suffer and hurt. How has that changed your perspective of God as our father and how he watches us hurt? Yes. Um, I remember I had someone who like two years after was saying they were going through some suffering and they said, maybe God's trying to teach me suffering. Like he suffered on the cross. And I said, okay, I'm not going to say God's not teaching you something there. Cause that's between you and him. But I just want to say, God does not take joy in your suffering. He does not delight in your suffering. Mm-hmm. He is hurting so deeply when you suffer. And I know that we can get in our heads about then God should change it. Then no, that's not the world we're in. God created a perfect world. We live in a fallen world now and we will be in a perfect world again. But right now it's fallen. And right now God loves us. And when we hurt, he hurts. When Teddy hurt, I wanted to pull my insides out. I would do anything to trade places with him. And I don't feel that, but I'm not, an awesome person. I don't want to take other people's pain. If I could, I wouldn't say, Oh, break my leg instead of yours. That's, I don't want a broken leg. Um, but honestly, I, it is such an experience to, on a visceral level, want to take the pain from someone and to feel it to your bones, Mm. the suffering of your child. And So yeah, in the practical sense, every four hours he needed pain medication, but at marker three, he could feel his pain. So from that last hour, he wanted to pull his bandages off. He wanted to not be hurting and I couldn't do anything. And it was actual hell on earth. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. And I hurt for my son so deeply and I just, realized like I remember kind of thinking why did God come down to earth to be crucified like that just seems unnecessary couldn't he's God can he just snap his fingers and I don't know we can go in a whole different direction there but he hurt for us and he saw us suffering and he needed a way out so he created this beautiful plan to save us because he did not want us to suffer he doesn't want us to suffer and he hurts when we hurt. And I don't think he snapped his fingers and fixed Teddy. I don't think he did that. I think he sat with me. I know he sat with me because I have a very clear vision of that first night when we were home, sitting at the bottom of the pit, just totally alone, 
and Jesus was just sitting next to me. And he didn't say anything and we didn't have anything to say, but we were just together. And I know, I don't know. It just, it mattered to me to know he was there and that he was hurting with me as a mom, as I was hurting for my son and he was hurting for my son. Mm. Teresa, talking to you today, I have to say, you know, to full circle our conversation, we started out with you saying that you realized you were rich in ways you had no idea you were and you want to share it. And you just spent an hour of your life sharing with us so many riches. I feel like I have a more rich view of our father who hurts when we're hurting and your call to community and how God can use us in community to bless people and how we can share what we've been given. I could talk to you for hours. I thank you so much that you are someone who wants to share the blessings, the love, the riches that you've been given with the world. Thank you for sharing it with us today. Thank you for having me. This was an honor. It was really cool to talk. And for those of you listening, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're in a high or a low. I don't know if you're sitting in a pit and you're needing Jesus to meet you there, but know that you have a father who sees you as his kid and he loves you and he hurts when you're hurting. And if that's not the place that you're in, but you see other people hurting, he can use you today to buy some white sheets to vacuum a floor, to fill a fridge, to pray a powerful prayer for someone in need. Guys, we can be used by God to help people be reminded that they're loved and that their lives matter. I hope that you sense God colliding with you this week and we'll catch you next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at we.collide on Facebook as at We Collide Women. And you can also visit our website at wecollide.net to find our blog, resources, event information, and more. One last thing. If you enjoyed this episode, would you take a few seconds and leave us a review? It seems like such a small act, but reviews help us to keep producing this content and help other women find it too. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode and letting us walk with you as you seek and collide with Jesus.